0: Teams is such a great application. Yeah, Teams is flawless. Nobody should ever have a problem with Teams. Teams is is the most wonderful chat application that exists out there. Uh, What are we doing today, gents? We got uh, bad code, Jake Hildreth, dot, 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 horse. Uh, Brandon is MIA at the moment. His children may have uh, assassinated him. We're not quite sure yet. Uh, And we have two... Not, su- not super new faces, at least to the weekly podcast. We have the wonderful, the, I don't know how he's so goddamn pretty, Tyler Robinson. Uh, you know him uh, from the Security Weekly podcasts that have been going on forever. Uh, he works for us, so you can't have him. Uh, and at Jim Security, uh, G- is it Jim, it's uh, Sakura or Jim Sikora? Jim Sakura. Jim Sakura. I should know that by now. I've heard your name enough times. Uh, We do this every Friday, and I can't wait for it. It's my favorite part of the week, even though we only determine what we're going to talk about two hours before the broadcast, because that's how we do things. Although we do have a show notes uh, page, which I should be looking at right now. Uh, This week, I don't know. Whose idea was this? Oh, this was Brandon's, but I'm not going to have him introduce it, because he's not quite here yet. Uh, It
1: was Brandon's idea, and he's
0: not even here? No, no.
2: He was missing a kid, so he went to get another kid to replace it. Wait, he was missing a kid, so he went to get another, like, purchase a kid or... It's kind of like say.
0: it's kind of like oh. when a pet dies, right? And the kids are really young, so you try to swap them out before they realize it. Like, oh, <laughs> this is Pebbles, so, yeah. but Pebbles bites now. But that's weird. Maybe it's just a behavioral thing.
2: See, I was going to make that joke, but I thought it was insensitive and kind of an ass move to do, so I didn't. But I'm glad you'd, uh, you went there then. You went there.
0: I am nothing if not everybody's cautionary tale about how to behave in society. Uh, but today, so here's the thing about working at Trimark, right? I feel perpetually stupid. Uh, before I would go to, I'd work at other places and I think I was starting to feel kind of smart. I used to do threat hunting for a living and i was getting pretty good at it. And, uh, I, I could, I could walk into a company being like, not the smartest. Obviously, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Uh, but I, now I'm in among the Active Directory ninjas, the Azure AD wizards, the, uh, the uh, virtualization warlocks, right? I'm surrounded by these people. Um, and our chief, chief CTO, CEO, head muckety-muck, Sean Metcalf. Uh, if you don't know him, you should. And I think anybody starting out in this business, if you're working anywhere near Active Directory has to know Sean. And adsecurity.org. So we were deciding what we we're gonna talk about this week. And Brandon again, who is not here. His chair is lovely, though. I like those books. Sh- we, we should critique Brandon's workspace before he gets back. Uh, the paint the is. The
1: poster on white
2: walls, though. Like we're gonna have to work on some color schemes and a little bit of texture. I'm
0: surprised you're not cr- critiquing what's on the poster. Ball is teamwork. Does that poster cool. even have a frame on it, or is that like, is it tape that's holding it up? Is it, yeah. is it's it like it's me? Like with an eight half by eleven. Yeah, eight and a half by eleven photo
2: photo printout whatever
0: you know what i'm gonna see if i could like bring it up and we can zoom in on it and we just talk about it um <laughs> <laughs> you know what we're, we're not going to talk about active directory we're, ah there he is i should probably unmute him now too because i had him muted before uh let's see unmute brandon we just
1: started the twitch stream critiquing your white walls and single poster
0: oh you white like your poster no yeah, you right no we don't wall head We've all decided collectively that we don't like it. We're all
1: sending you posters now.
3: That's that's the one from, is that the first time I shaved my head? That might be the first time I shaved my head.
0: Well, I mean, there's no frame on it. Like, like, what's holding it up? Is it? Is it? Is so, it tape? Is it thumbtacks? What is that?
3: Uh, yeah, that's just a piece of masking tape. Uh. So
2: Brandon, the first critique I have is if you look at your head and look at um, Jake's head, you'll notice a clear difference of shaving hats. And I'm kind of disappointed you didn't go all out um this this was like a week ago, Dev.
3: This is my five o'clock shadow.
1: Oh wow, it's really so yeah, tri- got the, the daily the daily shave like you Jake. have to go every day for at least a month.
3: That's not the rule.
1: That sounds like a horrible idea.
0: It is really tripping me out to not see you with a hat on. like everything else here is expected except, except this. although what's funny, I never wear a hat. And I just instantly put one on today, so I'm, I'm channeling uh, Brandon for not having one.
3: All right. Well, I, how do I be Danny then? I like. Do I, I have to sit sideways and speak weird into the mic like this? I'm
0: not speaking. My mic is. And you gotta friend. turn.
2: You gotta turn your ang- You gotta turn your camera like at a weird angle, so that way you look like you're coming out from this.
0: Uh, how else do I subliminally put our logo and our website in the background, dicks? And a panda. And a panda. Um, did you already do the intro, Danny? Did, I, did we always talk about what we're talking about? No, I was I was riffing oh. to wait for you because this was your idea. Oh, thank you. What are we talking about? Well, what are you collectively experts talking about while I monitor chat?
3: Uh, since it was my idea. First of all, uh, Tyler in the house, so that's surprising. We've but already like, sung his praises. You can Okay, well, I didn't see it. Jeez, I just freaking got here. I know uh, we you just got about, here. We're 10 minutes in. Um... We are revisiting the sneaky Active Directory persistence. Uh, So my idea was that we take a little trip in the Trimark time machine, which is difficult to say, apparently, and we see if the persistence methods that Sean pointed out in several of his talks and his blog articles, as many as eight years ago, are still relevant
0: in today's world. Have at it. What are you starting with? Thank you. Um, well, wait. Did you
3: do like? Did you do my fake intro thing yet? No. With like the, 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 the it was the Spinal Tap thing.
0: Oh yeah yeah no I didn't do it but go ahead.
3: You didn't get the thing with the jeez. You had
0: one job. No, I currently have one, two, three, four, five jobs wrangling cats. So no, okay. I have more than one. So yeah, but if it's wrangling
2: cats, isn't that a single job? <laughs> the amount of cats you have doesn't mean. I, hate I mean, it. I I'm hate kidding. it here. I, I don't here. know. People with, with a lot of cats might disagree
3: that it's a little harder to do more
2: cats. I didn't say it was more, it was less or more harder. All I'm just saying it's still one job.
0: This is how all of our company meetings go, by the way. Okay. Yeah, you're
3: right. <laughs> we stay on topic really well. No, so, so the way I thought it, it would be funny and, and interesting to start is, so, the kind of the master article that Sean has on his adsecurity.org page um, says all of the sneaky persistence tips. And it starts at number 11. So it goes like 11, 12, 13, all the way to like 19 or something. And so everybody always asks, and Dev just asked this morning, where are 1 through 10? And I always just assumed that it was in one of his, like his DEF CON talk, or, or I actually went back and I watched his, um, his talk from DerbyCon. In 2015 and I was like oh yeah he's gonna do like top 10 persistence things and no it's not uh he basically talks about two things that aren't on the list and about three or four of the things that are that are on the list so what I decided is that you know Spinal Taps um their amps they go to 11 and that's where Sean starts
0: that's true Sean does come out of everything he does starting at 11. I've never known him to start at zero exactly
1: so is so, that like a given the first ten are given? You should know what those are, or
2: oh no, or are they secret? Well, the the first ask. ten you got to pay extra for. Okay, we're not giving everything away for free now. Come on, it's on It's on, on, his, free it's free on free. his OnlyFans for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> I got to mark down what stuff to edit out later so Sean doesn't hear. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks for your contribution, Jake. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Really, really good stuff. Hey, listen, I know what I'm good for here.
2: I'm glad you do. Glad. All right, so
0: start with one. Wait, wait, what's uh sneaky active directory tricks. So so one one that's on the list. Well, you before,
2: want to go we to, before we can do that, can we least, let's talk about persistence because there's kind of a argument about what is and what isn't persistence. See, dev's
1: always gotta start with the argument. He's always gotta get and and ruffle the feathers and make hey, the water.
2: If we're talking um, about persistence, what is it? Like my Let's understanding of persistence is different it. than yours. So my Your... understanding of persistence is, and I come from a, looking at making tool development, mostly in C2, is not only are you maintaining a foothold in the okay. environment um, after reboots, after some, whatever happens in that environment, but you're also creating a uh, creating a, basically a reconnect back or reestablished connection so you can use that foothold. That's what I see as persistence. I know some people say, no, no, as long as you have a foothold, it's persistence. But I kind of go, yeah, you have a foothold that you can't anchor or connect to. So now you have to go all the way full circle just to even get back to it. At that point, is that truly persistence? It's not, because the
1: very definition of persistence is to persist. Therefore, that is a foothold, that is access, that's initial access. So I think you're right. Persistence does have to be the ability to persist and maintain. Now whether that is persist after reboot, that is persist with inside of memory, that is persist after an OS wipe. I mean, we can go all the way down to the firmware and get into uh, boot kits and UFEI persistence or uh, Intel AMT persistence, all those things. So Persistence, our, I think, is
2: motherboard manufacturers and putting yep. a chip on a motherboard. Yep, China. Yep. Don't bring China into this. Yeah, yeah. They're so, here, I believe is, is
1: the ability to persist, but your level of persistence uh, has, you know, has different rings, has different methods based on your threat profile and what you're actually doing. So, I think for what we're talking about, I would say persist within inside of an enterprise whether that's on the endpoint or through Active Directory with inside of the directory services themselves. Is that, is that a fair assumption of what we're gonna talk about today?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a lot of what Dev, what it was intending in, it, it, I equate that to um, like being on a server and running gpupdate force and realizing that it just locked yourself out of RDPing to it, so now you get to walk into the server room, right? So. It's There's persistence, and then there are indicators of compromise that are accidentally left behind.
4: Yeah. And the way I look at Active Directory persistence is if you get found out and your initial attack vector, initial service principle in Active Directory is discovered, and somebody does IR, you still have another account or another set of accounts or another technique to get that administrative access back again um if you lose it
2: i don't know if that really counts as persistence um jim that might count as a secondary uh connection or failover persistence so i think it's not like underneath the branch persistence but it's a very like niche area because most a lot of attackers don't really go that level i mean they should create at least two to three legs when they're doing any type of established connection but
4: right i mean it is it is a pretty rare thing, right I mean like a your commodity ransomware folks are probably not going to be doing a bunch of eighty persistence in their network because their 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 goal is to burn it all down for money for the hope of money um or hold um information a ransom for money, but if you are talking about different threat actors where you have like an a p t and And nation state actors, they want to get in your active directory and they want to be able to get back in after you're detecting and and discovering them. This is where that kind of stuff comes in. Um, So it's different people are going to have different threat levels. And and for your average person or your average small, small, medium business, this stuff probably doesn't matter if you're a if you're a government entity or in the Department of Defense or Fortune 500, a big law firm, um, someplace where you can. You're hosting a lot of information and uh, other people want it. Maybe this is something you worry about.
1: I, w- I would actually also say that persistence, like, like Deb was saying, you have persistence at a high level and then you have branches there, right? Typically, when we talk about persistence, we have execution ability in there or automatic execution ability to regain footholds or regain access for C2. However, when we're talking about typical ransomware or threat actor groups that uh, maybe aren't super sophisticated, uh, they may consider persistence, multiple accounts, right? So their whole goal is to gain credentials for multiple accounts or dump Active Directory in order to gain uh, credentials and/or access to multiple accounts, so that they can maintain that persistence. But the persistence itself has to have an initial access vector, which would be something like RDP or the ability to use VPN to get in. Well, having credentials is great, and there's usually a way in in almost every situation. Um, but we're we're starting to talk about this. the having the credentials themselves doesn't necessarily mean you have the ability to use those credentials. If you've got a well-established and well-secured environment, credentials themselves may not be persistence. However, most people would consider that persistence. So, as we're talking about active directory persistence, we kind of do have to delineate the difference between user, and Active Directory persistence and the ability to leverage that Active Directory persistence. There are many cases that what we're going to talk about uh, is not going to have an end result of execution or the ability to execute C2 or to maintain access with inside an environment. So take that with a grain of salt because the, the persistence, we've got this large branch of persistence, and we're going to be talking specifically about the Active Directory pieces. That can correlate and maybe lead to access. Maybe it is not full execution. So don't take this as you, you know, make SID history and now you've got execution in Active Directory on a domain controller. That's not exactly how that works. But we're we're gonna leverage these credentials and persistence via these credentials for sneaky ways to maintain the the access to that account and the permissions that account has.
2: All right. Now I think that we talked about persistence and what it is. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, now I'm questioning if anything that I have to say is
3: actual
0: persistence. So. It's,
2: it's
5: well, definitely think, sneaky. Sneaky, whatever it is, so. definitely sneaky. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm starting so, to
0: think whatever you think is persistence, a lot of other people think is persistence.
3: Yeah, no, and I and I think really from I try to take I try to look at this from Trimark's point of view, right? Like the things that Trimark does uh, around detecting possible. Persistence. And a lot of time. I kind of joked about the indicator of compromise type thing, it, but but maybe it is. It's, you know, it, finding something like this may may be persistence or it may have been or it might have been somebody who got kicked out and never cleaned up. Right. So I feel like a lot of this, uh, if anything, if it's not persistence, it's at least suspicious. How's that? Is that fair? I okay.
1: mean, I would I would still consider most of this some form of active directory persistence, because most of the time you do have a foothold, you do have C2 in the environment. What we're leveraging here is our ability to maintain access and maintain permissions in an environment through this. So this may be secondary persistence via the initial foothold. We'll we'll do assume breach, assume compromise here, and assume that we have a foothold that has C2 or has the ability to do things in an environment. And that may be something as simple as, O365 access or OWA uh, with the ability to then get execution via an Outlook rule attack. So all of these things, I'm going to assume we have initial access, and then we can move past that because this gets really nuanced if we don't assume that breach.
3: Exactly. Yeah, and and actually, I think a lot of this assumes domain like full domain compromise, or or it assumes that you've been. I think the way Sean puts it in his talk is. Uh, you have, you have domain admin for five minutes. What do you do type stuff as an attacker, right? So um, one of the things that he had that, that I'm prepared to speak on anyway, is the SID history. So SID history, I guess, just a brief amount of background on that, because uh, when I was in operations, I didn't know what SID history was. I didn't know how to find it. And if I saw it staring at me in the face, then I probably wouldn't recognize it. Right. So SID history is is commonly used and intended to be used for uh, domain migrations. So what happens is you stand up a a new domain, a child domain, or or another domain in the forest. You want someone's identity to essentially persist through that migration. What happens is your old identity kind of gets merged with your new one. Dev would like this. It's kind of like the Dragon Ball Z like, uh, like stuff going on, right, where you take you take the old sid and you put it in the sid history of your new one and what happens is upon login all of the sid history gets enumerated and that's essentially your new identity so your 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 token contains whatever permissions are in that so that's the intention from a malicious point of view you go ahead and you generate a new uh, a new user and you add the don't one of the domain administrators or the literal administrator account to the SID history. When you are looking at that other account, it looks like a normal user account. There's no groups on it, it has no special permissions. However, when it logs in uh, and the access is granted to it, it has domain administrator access. So, so that's- is that
1: being applied via a group object on that user account, that, that SID is applied with permissions to that object that it have then added to its tokens? So
2: yes, it's a, it is an attribute of the user object. Yeah, my understanding, Brandon, is that um, when the SID, when it does resolution for permission, it looks at your SID and all the other SIDs and basically then takes um, all, the, all the permissions and kind of squash them, and then that becomes your new um Ackles, um of what you can have access to and you can leverage and do yeah i believe that to be the case uh,
3: or at least that's that's the way that i read it um so i'm just relying
2: on a lot of previous research that's been done well, on it let me let me phrase that. i gotta be careful saying using the word squash it basically stacks them and whichever one is the highest it takes that Um, and then anything below it kind of drops. And then it keeps using the highest levels until you get a more defined um, access controls. I should say. Yeah, we'd have to go off on a super
3: tangent on that to decide if there's like a deny ACL on a specific SID, if that takes precedence over other SIDs that are in the list. That's something that Jim can do some
5: research on later, I think. I was just thinking that. That's a Jim research project right there. Thanks, Jim.
4: Yeah, and I I don't know that off the top of my head what the answer is, but I yeah, like saying that, that the SIDs gets the, the, the permissions and the tokens get squashed is like a way to say it in layman's terms, but yeah, there's gonna be um going through the primary um definition of how access is granted and, and looking at implicit um permissions grouped together, looking at the denies and, and allows, and then looking at inherited um permissions. And the denies and allows and grouping them together in that way would be my um, best educated guess on how that is squashed.
2: Yeah. So, how does that run up against when you talk about like admin, SD holer, when they block inheritance on the objects themselves, but then you still have the SID history correlating back to like a 500 or something like that? Um, how? Because for the SID history, it does inheritance, for lack of a better word. Now, wouldn't wouldn't the inheritance only apply to the objects
1: that are highly privileged? So, if you put a SID his, history on something like I get the domain that. admin, well, then it then it would be removed by uh, the SD prop. However, if you're using the SID of the domain admin and you're applying that to another object, right? That other object isn't in the protected well, users group, so therefore, it's
2: not getting that propagation of the SD prop. I yeah, I get that, but. SID history, in the lack of better word, is enhanced inheritance to some degree. So wouldn't the inheritance of the second SID, the artificial one that you put in there, which is like, let's say, 500 or whatever RID you want to use, wouldn't that like, it has to, like, how underneath the hood is it doing that connection without using inheritance?
4: No, SD prop doesn't look at the SID history as far as I know. It, it, It looks straight at um members of the protected groups and protected objects. Um it doesn't
2: Yeah, I get that, but don't all uh, see prop also blocks inheritance on that object from other objects?
4: From a security ACL point, yes, but um, you know, like the the DACLs, it, it disables inheritance and applies or stamps uh, the default um DACL of S- admin SD holder to those objects, but it's not gonna do that to the object that has SID history for, like the RID 500 account or an enterprise admin. No,
2: no, I get that. So you have the you have the one account that you artificially created with the SID history. Yep. That SID history then is pointing to a 500, which is an SD prop. SD prop yep. blocks inheritance and all the other stuff and maintains the um, the ACLs permissions within there. But the SID history un- underneath the hood has to be doing some level of inheritance on it and since the RID 500 is in there wouldn't that also flow through to the main object no um
4: not from my understanding because the 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 security um descriptors that admin st holder is applying to an object um determine who can modify that object the admin mm. RID 500 accounts privileges within active directory including its members, its group memberships, the user rights it's assigned, and the hard-coded principles that it has are what determines the privileges it has in, in the Active Directory. So admin SD holder doesn't really factor into it at all. Um, you know, administrators by default are going to have their, their user rights assignments um, through the group policy applied to the domain controller, um, they're going to have the permissions that are hard-coded into Active Directory. Like, like you know, there's hard-coded checks for domain admins that you, you can't um, delegate, for example. And there's, there's some things that are hard-coded for the RID 500 account, definitely. Um, I know I just posted something in, in Teams this morning about that, which was a little surprising. But, um, yeah, so. So
2: I, I guess my real question is, how does Unita Hood SD... SD um, Sid history, underneath the hood, how does it actually perform that task? Like, what is that connector look like? How is it it's able to it in? Completely it's, like, its own thing. Like, I never knew. I know what it does. I never knew, but I don't know what it does under the hood, in the code. Like, what is it? How is it able to extrapolate the permissions? And then I hear or reflect it onto another Sid. Yeah,
4: I haven't got to that part in the MS... Um... Active directory specifications yet. Um, I think it is taking taking
1: that that SID, right, and putting it on on the object itself. Once it's on that object, the other object, that SID history then as part of the ACL-DACL process is utilizing Kerberos in order to apply that token for that SID to that other user object. It, It is one way transverse, not the other way. So it is applying the token within inside of memory as it is doing the Kerberos authentication based on the SID that is applied to the object
2: where the SID history lives. But if, if it's doing it that way, then Tyler, I mean, then that's gonna cause all kinds of mess when you have conflicting permissions and ACLs.
1: it always takes the highest, it always takes the highest permission because it looks at the tokens if the token doesn't match and doesn't provide the ACL or DACL. In Kerberos, it moves to the next token that is available to that object as as can, Kerberos yeah. is moving forward.
2: Yeah, it's just I, I really want to I would love to see that piece of code in
1: actual um, practicality at the at the wire level and at the bit level it's probably super complex and I would love to see I would love to see the exchange of that Kerberos authentication process uh, honestly because there's probably there's probably more more shenanigans to be had at that level.
4: Yeah, it's something that needs to be labbed up and.
3: I think we can all agree that it should, right? Like,
4: (laughs) it should should continue
3: to translate, but it doesn't. Um, So I just just got a text message from my wife that said, hey, sorry if your kids interrupted the meeting. So I'm wondering if that's why I was on mute, that my kids were in my office screwing around.
1: We all decided you went and got a a new kid, so it's okay.
3: Okay. Yeah.
0: Cool. Your, okay, so, your your wife actually came in and said, uh, "This is Daddy's important work meeting." And I was like, "That is way overstating the usefulness of what we're doing."
3: I hope you didn't say that out loud because otherwise, you guys are going to get me in trouble.
1: What's that? Okay.
0: <laughs> no, you <laughs> no, also did drop an f bomb too, but I did bombs. no such day. <laughs> uh, maybe I did. I don't know. He told the kids earmuffs before, yeah, ear muffs. So <laughs> yeah, That's right. He headphones, <laughs> headphones, kids.
3: All right, so. So hit sit history is going to come back around if we have if we have time yeah. to dig into it. because uh, it's another persistence technique or, or it can be used in combination of like a DC sync and stuff like that. So one the other things I wanted to mention is yeah. it's in MimiCats. So you can run run this and add a sit history as you create a user using MimiCats. And detections for it is just essentially checking your environment for. Sid history, so specifically checking the sid history for the the RID five hundred or any um, inter domain uh,
2: sid history, essentially. Um, So, if you if you have an environment, there's a ton of scripts you got on our websites. Use one of those. I mean, it's like saying, "Hey, I want to get in my car. I don't know what the keys is. Let me just smash all the windows and unlock the door." (laughs)
4: Okay, you're <laughs> right. You're using the flipper zero, Dev.
2: Listen, listen, Dev. I I looked
3: at at the notes and I saw the Mimi cat's kiwi, and I immediately just set. So I apologize. You're right. You can just run a PowerShell script that sets the damn attribute. Okay, so you do have to be a domain admin to to set them, I believe. Um,
1: you should you should know how how this works under the hood and you should have multiple tools in your bag. Sometimes a jackhammer is necessary as a tool, so you're using it in a lab. You smash a window and, and not when you're it. trying to peel the apple. It's called <laughs> sneaky persistence. You can lick the apple off of the counter with your tongue. There's still apple there. It just you know it it might work. It may be fermented. It might not be the best texture, but you know sometimes you All right, thirty three minutes
0: in, pull that audio, no context. Uh, I'm on it.
4: In in switching a little bit gears, um, the it's important to note that messing with SID history is a post exploit persistence method. So yes. Brandon alluded to that, but you're not doing this um, without escalating privileges in the environment first to an AD admin. So I,
1: I am curious here from from this standpoint. This is one. This is a couple advanced SID history techniques that I've been playing with and looking at for a little while and I've not finished yet. But because you need domain admin to play with SID history, does that also apply if you have extended rights or full rights to an object or inherent object, full access rights, delegated, does that mean that you can then put a SID history on an object that you have full extended rights on? Like no. we see extended rights messed up all over the place, especially on objects, especially pushed through like OU or owner rights. If that does happen, does that mean you don't need to be domain admin? You just need those extended rights. And if you end up with those extended rights, could you apply SID history on any of those objects that you now have the
2: extended full rights on? I think you still need domain admin for the SID history to take effect. Um because Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I went out to be re- I don't think we ever tried that out without yeah, that's a good question.
3: Everything I've seen points to, like Jim said, it's, po- it's, it's post-exploit. So it's not uh, because you would, you would in- at the very least, I'm sure that you would need access to the object you're adding it to the object you're editing and the object that you're applying it to, right? Yep. So that's curious, though.
1: Take that one step further. Now you want to talk about really sneaky. SID history techniques, and this one I've not finished proving, but I'm I'm pretty sure this is possible. We ended up with some weird errors, and I think it was my domain because uh, I'd messed with it. But when you apply a SID history, creating a privileged account, say like a domain admin or something, creating a privileged account, getting the SID, deleting that privileged account or orphaning it, so you have an orphan SID. And then leveraging that orphan SID in a SID history. So it actually doesn't exist and doesn't show up in, in the domain when they, when they look for it, does that actually work? Because the, the SID actually still had permissions and SID history doesn't go back and look for active permissions, right? It's applying a SID in its current context.
2: But I think it still needs to have some understanding of what that old SID was to begin with and some type of trust relationship for it to even um, to pull the permission set from it. I don't think you can you can artificially just like stand up a new domain, connected as but, a trust with a artificial SID, and see if it reestablish the connections. But what about
1: just a you? What about just a a user, and then orphan that SID, that user that was highly privileged, to apply that SID as a as a SID history
2: to another object within the same domain. Same domain. That that can, technically should work. Again, but, just food for thought. Not,
3: that's What's some, some random tangents there for some additional... Proven, Dev doesn't know anything about SID history, so we don't listen to him about that, right? <laughs> I only built a tool
2: around it, that's all.
1: <laughs> He's only the most technical one
3: here from right, the yeah, back end. Uh, so um, the, one thing, the one thing that is related to it, and um, uh, I don't need to totally shift gears into it, is when you start talking about cross, cross-domain SID history. So you can leverage that by adding the uh, enterprise administrator account or an account that is an enterprise administrator as a SID history, and then you can bypass a lot of domain uh, uh, boundaries with that as well.
1: So for all you who have that empty root, but don't secure it.
5: (laughs) AKA everyone that has the empty root. Yeah.
1: Yep. This is where I would leverage the trap out of that.
3: All right, let's move on to uh, another one. Dev, do you have one? I know you were looking into uh, which one? One of the other says, ones.
2: Um, the malicious security support provider, which is uh, not full. Um, so in that one, it's basically, it's just a way to utilize the um, security um, support provider interface, which gives it all kinds of access to the systems, accounts, information, everything you can manage from what I understand. Again, I only read this for like, 30 minutes, 30 minutes ago, so uh, I may not have the best understanding of this piece, because I never actually heard of this attack before. Though. Um, Which goes to show that like, this active directory stuff has been around for ages, that a lot of red teamers don't know about. But, what it does is, if you could get a MiniCats, you can use mini-cats, um to generate a DLL, that then you can add as a, one of the DLL support lists, by updating the registry, and then now, MiniCats has access to manipulate aspects within um, your Active Directory, including creating a, uh, a group policy that pushes, well, I don't know if technically it's a group policy. Uh, what is it that it creates? Yeah, it's a group policy template. I was uh, gonna say creates, it's a group policy template. Yep, it creates a group policy template, which then can push a user you want to every machine out there as admin. So it gives you definitely a lot of control and capabilities. Um, and this is actually probably the easiest thing to check for and to monitor and to make sure because you just gotta pull back a simple res- uh, registry key and just check and see if it's been modified or altered, and then this create a will construct that basically outputs it and then check your logs every now and then for any any um, manipulation of it. So I mean, this is a definitely easy win for a lot of people, but. You need domain admin access, obviously, because you're messing with uh, registries, registrars or whatever. Um, And you also need to make sure you have to have full access to the box that you're trying to, the domain control itself. So you can't do this remotely or execute this um, outside of it. And you have to obfuscate your DLL. So that way, you're not going to get any EDR, AV type of detections. So there is a little bit more skill trade in this when you're trying to do this type of attack but it's definitely, in my opinion, a really nasty one Uh, because it could go unnoticed for a very long time. Um, The fact that you got to put a DLL in Windows system 32 is kind of like,
1: It's kind of similar to the DNS admins, right? Like being able to leverage something like DNS admins to gain execution via DLL is, is actually still widely unknown and not leveraged a lot. I see yeah. DNS admins uh, added, in, and same thing. There's some stuff that's still not been publicized for uh, backup, the backup account that you can do. So, leveraging leveraging those secondary built-in groups for persistence and execution is something you definitely have to keep an eye on, and that requires you to do both auditing and and continuous monitoring of those accounts which requires you to have the active directory set up correctly have a good sim and then be looking for the things that you know attackers are going to be leveraging you're gonna you're gonna see these adversaries begin to use many many things that are a lot more sneaky we've we've kind of gone through the low hanging flute low hanging fruit for many of the ransomware groups and they've started to pivot you see many of them pivoting to ufei bios and boot kits because they want that long-standing persistence in a domain. see a lot of them leveraging VMware uh, and beginning to leverage VMware for ransom, but also that VMware access and hypervisor access provides them a substantial amount of uh, active directory access and persistence at a place that's not typically monitored. So, and typically most places, because of how they have their VMware set up, you can use an active directory account in order to gain access to the hypervisor layer via VMware admins, or even if you're integrating the built-in user groups, uh, leveraging a domain admin to gain access to the hypervisor, you now can install something like a, a malicious Vib, uh, or use something like Direct uh, Direct user interface access on vmware to access a console there's up to 40 concurrent sessions on most consoles by default in vmware so you can now access the console of something that already has a console accessed and and be right into a very sensitive account that may have someone logged in that you can't otherwise get access to so So again these these are problems
2: so todd now we scared the crap out of everyone um (laughs) how do they protect themselves from a lot of these things i mean besides Using our services that we offer, that's amazing. Um, do we have a script, um, Jim, Jake, that you guys know of that's out in AD org that we can they can be using ADSecurity.org? Security We have we one use? on
1: Trimark, right? We have the the one that goes through, and does some uh, does some Active Directory checks for some of the basic things and looks for you know even some of the the more advanced things. Uh, Sean Sean offered that script up for free. From the VMware side, I know we're working with D right now to come up with like the top 10 things to kind of secure and look at for VMware, but these all go back to fundamentals, like we really do have to keep the fundamentals uh, at the front, like I know that there's all this zero trust and ZTNA and all the the fancy buzzwords that are out there today, but really the things that are working and protecting is doing the fundamentals, right, getting the best practices and the securing the the things that you know are problems, so uh, SSH on your VMware uh, DCUI, which is the Direct Console User Interface, and there's uh, the VMware um, the v- VMware console. Making sure those are all locked down, separating out your VMware admins from Active Directory, making sure that those are treated like a tier zero account, uh, ensuring that you've got you know one session available on on VMware. Uh, looking at your VIBs and making sure you have community VIBs blocked, like. These are pretty, pretty basic things from a VMware standpoint that we're just not doing just like an active directory. We're not doing some of these.
2: So do you think Jake, that we can have time to throw together a script that checks at least for the SSP, the state history, and kind of give people a way to do a small audit check? I think that that would be okay. I think we can build on to what we already
5: have maybe since that, that script is pretty awesome already, or are you thinking as a separate thing?
2: As a separate, because you know what, I think what people should be doing is more leveraging a lot of these scripts that we're building, and kind of feeding them into a sim for some type of long jeopardy um, monitoring and digestion and tracking. So, like again, having sit his having his sit history in your environment is not you know it's, it's not uncommon. It's especially with migrated to domains. What you do want to check for is is that sit history growing. Is there a SID history where the SID is the same SID that it belongs to? Right? It, it's it's like local history. Local SID history, yeah. So many things, though, are, are exactly that.
5: Knowing it, it's asset management, really, what it's down okay. to it. Knowing what you have, knowing how it acts, looking for weird stuff.
2: Yeah, so we could create different PowerShell scripts, release it for, release it for everyone. Then they could take it and kind of get the output and digest it into whatever system. Even if it's something where they put into a database and they run um, a SQL command against, then they could determine like, oh, something got changed today. What changed? Why did it change? And you know, then they could go ahead and call us and so we can help them.
1: Um, as part of as part of
2: Microsoft's
1: um, Windows 10, the, what is it, the uh, threat protection uh, auditing. If you have the advanced threat protection auditing turned on and you're using the O365, any of the O365 services, and integrating those into uh, into your domain, you should be able to detect SID history. Now, if you don't have any of that, that's fine. Uh, you can go and search for the event IDs uh, for user, user changes. Uh, I think there's a, Sys, there's a Sysmon one for suspicious user changes, which trying to remember the event, I think it was, was 4738, maybe 4738, there's one of the events there for user changes uh, looks at um, specific DACLs for uh, the object, and it'll look for suspicious DACL changes. And I think SID history falls underneath of that. So it's it's pretty straightforward if you're looking for it and you're monitoring and ingesting that's the box.
2: That's usually the problem, right? But the problem is, it's also ATP for Microsoft is how much?
1: An E3 or E5
2: license, which is not cheap. That's
5: exactly. exactly what I was going to ask. Where, wh- Which E is it? How many E's do we have to pay for?
1: I believe E3 or E5 or uh, S1 and S2 both uh, both include uh, what is, is now Defender for the Endpoint or Defender O365,
4: Defender for Identity. I don't know that. Yeah, it's Microsoft Defender for Identity is what you're talking about because, like, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint isn't going to detect anything SID history-wise. It's Microsoft Defender for Identity, which is looking at Active Directory, is where you want to be. Um, but yeah, you know, with with the SID history being an attribute in on a, a user account, you can, if you have the right auditing enabled, you can send that off to a sim and, and look for the GUID of SIT history being modified in the attributes of the event ID. I don't have it off the top of my head, but um, it's something we can figure out and post. Um I did put in the chat the um invoke trimart checks script as well. So I, I posted the link for that in this in the chat. Uh Twitch chat. Very nice.
3: Uh Jim, the sit, so hit sit sit history was added is four seven six five. It's in the article. Yeah. Yep. Seven, and then there's six, ten, ten attempt to add nice as well so, well we are pretty much up on time already aren't we
0: we got 9 minutes unless we want to start closing statements right now if you want to hit something else real quick
2: i mean the only thing i like to say right now is this is almost 8 years old
0: and this stuff is still applicable that's why security is great everything's always broken in this just slightly different ways but not really yeah, yeah. i mean Everything is broken. We all have great job security.
3: (laughs) Exactly why we went on the time machine, right? Because like some of these things, like, like even Dev just admitted he looked on
0: one. He never heard of that before. I had never
3: heard of Sid history
0: until a year ago. Well, part of what I put into the Trimark newsletter, by the way, trimarksecurity.com, I signed up for the Trimark newsletter, new issue coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, is when I want to put stuff in there, I just look in our company chat from before I got here and look for whatever Tyler has posted. And then I do research on it. be like, is this, oh yeah, this is still a thing. Okay. <laughs> like, I literally called it on the last uh, newsletter, uh, like the back to the, or I was like back to the front or future or something. Um, and then I put something similar that just happened. Tyler was a great source of information for that. So, you know, that's one of those things. Like, it's pretty evergreen, right? Like, I was having a conversation with D. Uh, D is our head of our uh, Visa VMware uh, assessment. By the way, we got a lot of VMware stuff coming out uh, next month um, about all of these things. And, like, he's one of the things that I, I remember he told me was, you know, VMware, especially people who have a heavy, like, virtual um, uh, uh, structure, are are just keeping up with, bu- like, bugs, so to speak, right? Like, they are the last people to do bleeding-edge security uh, things. They're just trying to keep up from the things that were broken when they put it in because apparently one of the big misconceptions about, like, VMware, ESXi, stuff like that, is that it co- that it's some kind of different alien, right? Like, it comes default security out of the box, and the admins don't think to apply the, the basic AD security things for regular Active Directory, regular Windows environments for virtual because somehow it's different. Like, and and he's he, he's like, it's maddening. I see it all the time. Uh, just one of the pearls of wisdom coming up on the uh, TriMark webinar for uh, Visa and virtual infrastructure.
1: Yeah, v- virtual infrastructure. Again, we go back to this. I think we've been doing a lot of this wrong. First, getting the fundamentals right. But as we do the fundamentals and as we get our our baselines and best practices set up, one of the things to keep in mind is if you are securing and doing your best practices and you're only doing it at one tier or one layer, say you're only doing Active Directory, you're doing Active Directory really well. If you're only doing it at at that layer and you leave something like your VMware hypervisor or your management interfaces, there was a has a uh, potty, I believe, uh, he he reminded me of, of the management interfaces. This is one of my favorite ways to compromise an organization is leveraging something like IPMI uh, in order to gain that direct access to the hypervisor or VMware infrastructure. And then from there I can pivot up. So as you're securing things, you need to make sure you're securing the lower layer things. You've got to get your, your TPM right, your boot security correct. You've got to get hypervisor, the things that Active Directory is running on, the servers that are critical tier zero servers If I gain access to your hypervisor and those live on the hypervisor and I can access them, well, you didn't do any good doing all that segmentation and and tiering because you didn't secure below the tier. So you've got to make sure that as you're looking down and up uh, on your tiering levels, you're ensuring everything is being secured uh, and you're doing baseline and best practices at all the layers. If you mess up one of those layers, all that work was for nothing. So ensuring that you're getting your VMware infrastructure right, your virtualization infrastructure right, uh, is probably of the most critical things to do this year and i will say that because most of the adversaries most of the toolkits and ransomware uh, groups that i'm in and and trying to tear down all of them have been working on developing and have vmware or linux capabilities to start uh, encrypting and gaining access to them and we're going to see persistence maintained there we're going to see access there and we're going to see encryption there and Trust me, if you get your VMware or, or virtualization environment encrypted, it is a much more difficult uh, endeavor to restore that and get back to a working point. So In, uh, uh,
0: in uh, chat, um, Potty says, I've been a penetration tester for 27 years this August. I have owned more orgs via LOMs, terminal servers, and network management systems than any other way. It's my favorite everyone's looking at higher levels of abstraction now and the lower level stuff is where it's at. Um, Yeah. And
1: as it gets more difficult, as windows gets harder and harder to, uh, to break into, as we see better defender uh, abilities, we see better memory protections. We see all of these, these things happening where security by default at the higher levels is becoming a thing, at least for, for Microsoft and windows, like those things are, are much better and much harder. I won't say the same for SaaS and cloud and stuff, but uh, as as we go down the layers, you're right. Like adversaries are going down the layers too, because these things are still easier to get to. You look at this is why uh, ICS and um, IoT is such a big issue because. We're talking about things that are not being secured and and not looked at and doing security by default out of the box. These things are hard to configure once they're working. Admins don't change them. Firmware updates uh, are not often applied because it takes down whole networks. So you've got a lot of things to consider, but they are important nonetheless. So you have to start and, and make sure you're considering all these things from the beginning
0: we got three minutes left. We're going to do our, uh, usually uh, uh, for Jim and Tyler, this is maybe new at the end of their, every episode. If we have closing thoughts that sum something up or something we want to tell our viewers, that's what we take the last few minutes for. So I'm going to start with Jim. Any closing remarks on our topic, Jim?
4: Yeah, if you host tier zero workloads like domain controllers on VMware or they're on your server, your physical servers that have um, ILO or iDRAC, iDRAC and VMware and hyper v just became tier 0 assets and you need
0: to treat them like it. Tyler closing thoughts.
1: It's time to do better. I don't know. The the adversaries have have gotten really good and we're going to start seeing this next wave. I've already seen the development. We've been in a lot of these chats. I'm telling you right now like prepare otherwise you're going to be in a lot of trouble. The the adversaries have nicer toolkits and Many of the APT groups and nation states are leveraging these uh, ransomware groups as, as smoke and mirrors. So this access and all these things we're seeing, it's just ransomware, it's not a big deal, it's not nation. I'm telling you once they gain access, access is being passed and or passed back the other way. So get your stuff together because it does matter. Uh, your infrastructure can be used to attack others and as a whole, uh, our economy, our future, uh, your kids' future, your livelihood for jobs, and and how much things cost. They all depend on each of us doing our job and our part. So let's get this stuff right and get the basics down.
0: Jay, closing thoughts?
5: So the saying is, you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. But there's also a saying about, you know, security has layers like an onion. So I'm going to say your security onion is only as or is as stinky as its stinkiest layer so just think of that
0: and speaking of Winkle, uh, weak links uh dev
2: wow thanks danny uh i, I know i could always look for you for a, a boost up uh my thing is listen we're not these, these calls get really technical sometimes and dives really deep and we are not expect anyone there to be 80 AD admin experts or to know like how to fend off against china or whatever other state you Country you want to defend against? Um, my thing is, listen. If you need help, there's a community out there, especially at Trimarks, and we love to help people out. So hit us all up. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, between the handful of people that work here in in our AD department, we have a ridiculous amount of experience and knowledge. So feel free hit us up and do the basics. Uh, go through the articles. Learn more through adsecurity.org. Um, we, the company spent a lot of time putting that together and there's a lot of great content in that site um,
0: so that's all I'd say Brandon um, so
3: good job everybody uh, I want to talk just real quickly so another sneaky persistence method that we didn't get to touch on a was adding SPNs on accounts for later use because everyone knows about roasting. So you add a uh, SBN on an account that you want to attack later may not be as easy. So it's very similar to the um, the fifth yeah. as far as an attribute goes. Uh, all you have to do on that one for sure is have access to add an SBN to the account itself. You don't have to have the domain admin
5: permission. So
1: what is I love that one? Now now we got a whole other topic to talk yeah, about. Yeah,
5: like SBN, what do you just needed? Yeah, one more hour. One more hour of talking.
0: Just one more hour. Please let me save the content to make more weeks, please. Um, Grasp um, straws here, goddammit. All right. Thank you for joining me on my time machine. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. As always, we do this every week here on Twitch, uh, TremarkSecurity.com. To check out all of our services, we got you covered for Microsoft Active Directory, Azure AD, uh, VMware ESXi, and of course our new enterprise security posture offering um, that helps punch ransomware in the nuts. Uh, I, I don't think that's in the marketing materials, but it should be. Uh, and uh, adsecurity.org, created by our Felix leader Sean. Now, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say the, the middle nickname we can look for him. Fucking Metcalf. Uh, Join us every Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1900 UTC here on Twitch. I'll see you all later. Thank you, gentlemen.